0: So this morning, as a backdrop, we're going to use First Chronicles 16 throughout the morning. And we're going to look at David's call to the people of Israel to give thanks to God. And David gives them some reasons that they are to be thankful to God. And we're going to look at, at three of those reasons this morning. The first one is that David calls the people of Israel to remember what God has done why is this important that we remember? Well, quite frankly, because we can be forgetful. Uh, I don't know about you, but the last three weeks have been particularly uh, helpful and encouraging, but also very challenging for me to remember that, that I'm preaching a sermon series on thankfulness, and maybe my life ought to reflect some of that. I mean, I don't know. It, you know, it just seems that, that the pastor ought to be listening to, to what the Word of God is saying to the church and applying it himself as much as he would ask anybody else. So yesterday, I, I clearly hadn't learned the lesson of thanks yet, uh, because I, I was changing planes in Dallas, coming home from a trip, and what was going to be a 35-minute layover turned into a seven-hour layover. <laughs> And a seven-hour layover is not something that you typically say, now, I just want to stop and give thanks to God uh, for this moment. So I had seven hours to practice. I had seven hours to practice being thankful. But you know, at a layover in in, in an airport, that's just, quite frankly, it's a a mild, mild, mild inconvenience, right? What about giving thanks in the doctor's office when you just heard something you really didn't want to hear and didn't expect to hear? What about giving thanks in the circumstances of a marriage that is really difficult and challenging and maybe not going the direction that you had hoped? What is it like to give thanks when you just have that one sin you can't seem to shake? David doesn't say give thanks for your circumstances. David says, remember the Lord and give thanks. So as we begin this morning, I want to talk for just a minute about that word remember. In 1 Chronicles 16 verse 12, David says, remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and judgments he has uttered. David calls us to remember the work of God, to remember the, the miracle of God, to remember the, the judgment of God. And what he means there is as you look at, at the world around you, you see what God is doing, you understand that his judgments are right and are true and that they lead us to life, not to death. What David is calling us to do individually as well as collectively is see the hand of God in our lives. I often think in the moment, I'm not really exactly sure what God's doing in my life, but if you ask me what he was doing a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, it's a little more clear to me. I can say, oh yeah, I can look back and I can remember. And in that particular situation, now that I'm a bit removed from it, I really can see what God was doing there. That's why David calls us and says, if we're going to be a thankful people, we must remember, we must remember the work of God. And that goes for us individually as disciples, right? Right? So if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, I'm a believer in Jesus this morning, we're called to take time out of our day and to pause and to be quiet and still and remember what God has done. But also brothers and sisters, we're called as a congregation to be a people who remember God. That collectively, we are we are we are representing the knowledge of God and his work in our lives. But David doesn't just say God's work and, and, and God's miracle and God's judgments, but he also tells us to remember God's word. Look at, at verses 15, uh, at, uh, excuse, it's actually verse part of uh, 16 as well. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. And the, the next line says the covenant that he made with Abraham. What we're reminding, what we're remembering is that God keeps his word. The promises that God makes, the covenant that God makes with Abraham, right, that he says will last a thousand years, God's putting himself on, on the hot seat. God is saying, I'm the one that's going to accomplish this. My word is good, and if my if my word fails, then, then I have failed. He isn't being scrutinized by Abraham as to whether Abraham is going to, you know, see God's word for true sure or not. God is, is saying, I'm holding myself accountable. I am going to be the one that you can trust. When you remember what I've said and you see the work of my life, it will be reason for thankfulness. God has made promises and God has kept every one of those. In other words, we're looking at a God who keeps his word for a thousand generations, which is just metaphorical language to say, God's word is always going to stand. It's never going to fail. Now think about that. Think about that if you're in a tough spot. Think about that if you've come in this morning, you're discouraged and you're you're frustrated. You say, I don't know what I can believe anymore. You can believe that God will keep his word. God doesn't say, doesn't promise that he'll take us out of the valley of the shadow of death, right? Jesus doesn't promise that that we can avoid the cross. Jesus actually says, every day you're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow me. This world's a broken place. But what does God promise? He will always be with us. He'll never forsake us. Jesus promised that he would pave a way for us to the Father. And so we can we can know this morning that we're coming to a God. We can trust his word. A friend of mine was sharing a story with me about growing up last Sunday. He said, my dad did business in our small town and a lot of people came in and they would, you know, they would talk about what they were going to do and what kind of business deal they were going to do. And they'd shake hands and the other person would walk out and that would be the end of it. He said, other people would walk in. It didn't happen very often, but every so often somebody would walk in and my dad would get out a piece of paper and he would talk to the person the same as he talked to the other folks. But they would say, okay, let's write that down. And now let's, let's sign that. And he said, I asked my dad one day, why do you do that for some and not for others? He said, well, son, after you're in business for a while, you learn people who keep their word and people who don't. (laughs) And you got to have something in writing for those who don't keep their word. God put his own name on the line by writing the whole book and by saying, you can trust me. You can take me at my word. That's why it's important. Why we should collectively and individually. It's right that David starts out this celebration and he says, Let's remember.
1: So at several points during this morning's worship service, I'm going to stand up and invite you all to join me in response, in response to God, to his word, and to the things that Tom's sharing with us this morning. This is our opportunity to give thanks together as a spiritual family. It's our invitation to worship like David worshiped and pray like he prayed. So right now we're being encouraged to remember. When I first contemplated this earlier in the week, I thought about the incredible way that God moved to lead me and my family here to this community, to Kirkwood, to Green Tree, the schools here, to a place where my family would thrive and we could raise our children into adulthood. And I was overcome with gratitude. So now I ask you, what are the things that you need to remember? What are the times that when you think about it, it increases your faith for the present and gives you greater hope for the days to come? What is the word that you think of a scripture that encourages you to hold fast and have hope? This is our chance to respond together. So I'm going to lead out and I'm going to say something first and then I invite you as you feel led to call it out. Call out to God what you remember, his faithfulness to you. And then we're going to be led in worship. So I'm going to go first. God, I remember the times that you have miraculously provided for my family in situations that seemed impossible. And I thank you.
0: So we begin the the journey of a life of thanks by remembering. (laughs) Remembering individually as well as remembering collectively. Uh, But David doesn't stop there. He takes the the children of uh, of Israel a little further on the journey, a little little higher up on the pathway, so to speak. And the next thing he calls us to is not just remembering, but then he says, I want you to ascribe to the Lord certain things. Now, the word ascribe means uh, to give a correct name right? To identify accurately. So uh, occasionally the little ones at Green Tree will say, hi, Pastor Tom. And they're ascribing to me a particular office. Uh, when I was young and, and uh, playing out in the neighborhood, uh, one of the names that people called me was Tommy Turtle. And the reason they called me that was because my slowness was deceptive. And <laughs> you got you to figure a way to spin it, right? Okay. But it was an accurate, it was an accurate description, right? So what is, what is the description? When David says, I want you to ascribe to the Lord, what is it? If you went out on the street and you, you asked somebody ascribe to the Lord, they might say a God who doesn't care. They might say somebody I've, I've, I've never met or never seen, don't know anything about. Somebody that brings bad things into my life if I, if I don't behave myself correctly. There's a lot of bad information out there when it comes to ascribing to God. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, leads us down the correct pathway. The first thing he says in verse 28 is, ascribe to the Lord, O families of people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Glory and strength. When we remember God, those are two things that David said should come to our mind. The first, this, this notion of glory. I'm going to give you a big theological word for it, transcendence. Transcendence means that God is high above us, that he is, he is glorious, that he is, he is mighty. The, the prophet uh, quotes God this way, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. David the one who's leading this worship service in 1st Chronicles 16 says in the Psalms, I don't concern myself with things that are too great for me to understand. What he's saying there is not that he that he's trying to be mentally incompetent, that he's not going to bother to study and do his homework. What he's saying is God is so awesome, I'm never going to be ultimately able to get my ri- my mind around all that he is. So I'm going to praise him for what I know, for what I remember this God is a God of glory, but also he's a God of strength. He's a God that that takes that endless energy and that endless might, and he uses it to come and relate to mankind. So while God is completely transcendent, at the exact same moment, God is also completely imminent. He is with his people. When David calls the nation of Israel to remember they've just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, you look at that Ark, what do you remember? That God took us out of bondage. That God fed us when we didn't have any food. When we were dying of thirst, that God gave us water. That God led us into the promised land and on and on it goes. Speaking of God's strength, when I think of of God's glory and I think of what he's done in my life, I think of strength. I think of how he has related to me how he's related to to those around me. He's made himself known and he's used his strength for my salvation. I was incapable of putting my faith in God. I was in rebellion against God and yet God used his strength not to crush me but to draw me to himself. So we are to ascribe to God. We are to make God known through these kinds of word glory and strength. But David goes on to say in verse 29, he repeats himself. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. David is taking us again, just another step down the pathway. And he's saying, if you ascribe these things to God, if you dwell on them in your heart, if you meditate on them and, and you begin to see the glory of God and you begin to see the strength of God, your knees ought to begin to buckle. And that's a good thing not out of fear that he will crush you, but out of awe that he would save you. And you begin to realize you're in the presence of someone infinitely greater than yourself. You're in the presence of someone who doesn't need to pay you any attention whatsoever, but has chosen to come into a life-saving relationship with you. And so he says, worship the Lord. The, word, the Hebrew word for worship literally means bow down because we acknowledge the glory and the strength of God and that he uses it, for my salvation. So I see him, I see me, and I joyfully bow before him. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, I walked into a buddy of mine's office one day, and he was talking to a gentleman, and I looked over, and it was Stan the man, usual. Yeah, right, I mean, right there, like closer than I am to Eric. And and he stood up, and he shook my hand. And he said, I'm Stan usual." I'm like, I, I know, I know you're saying, you know, and, uh, and it was like, you know, what's your name? Could you cl- close your jaw? You know, my mouth was kind of hanging on the floor and he ended up, he, he knew my grandfather. He goes, Oh, I knew, I knew your grandfather. I, I, I know your family. I, I know where you come from. Right. And I'm like, I, I wasn't bowing down in worship, but my knees were, were buckling. Right now that it, it loses a little bit in translation, but that's what God's saying to you this morning with all of his transcendence, with all of his glory and all of his strength, He's looking you in the eye, and he's saying, "I know you. I'm using my strength on your behalf. I want to redeem you." And so David says, "That's something worth shouting out. Let's ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name..
1: Who is like our God? He is holy. Majestic in splendor. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. There is no one like our God. And now it's our time to praise him together, to ascribe to him the glory and honor that he is due. And so I ask you, I invite you to join me and let's consider together what is it about our God that makes your heart bow down in worship? Who has he been to you this week? And we're going to do this again. I'm going to lead out, and I'm going to ascribe to God some glory and honor. And then I invite you to do the same. Don't be shy. This is our chance to praise him together. So God, I worship you as my redeemer, my savior, and the one who restores.
0: David calls us to remember, David calls us to ascribe, and then thirdly, David brings us to the pinnacle uh, of the conversation, of the the worship experience, and he says, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So the, the summation of remembrance and ascribing is to give thanks. And David gives us two reasons for giving thanks. The first one is this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good now again you you could you could hear a lot of messages that say that God isn't good. you can hear a lot of a lot of a lot of lies that would suggest that God actually is uh, against us is actually uh, revels in our harm or seeing us struggle and yet David is clear as a man who struggled mightily. <laughs> as a man who, who had many trials in his life. Probably, if you go back and you look at David's life, you might say, you know, kind of neat that he eventually got to be king and, and got to write all those psalms and everything, but if it, that's what it took to get there, I don't know that I would have wanted to be on that journey. David's not sitting in an ivory tower someplace protected from the woes and the brokenness of life, much less from his own sinfulness. David was a man of great love of God and a great sinner. David was a man who was faithful and yet was beaten down quite a bit. And he sums it all up. This is, this is again, this is a moment of, of David's life where he's experienced all of those highs, all of those lows. And he says, here's what I remember. I give thanks because God is good. He thinks and acts with perfection every time, all the time. He is never rash, nor is he trivial. He does not abuse his children, and he never acts out of selfishness without concern for others. God is always kind. He is always full of compassion. He always offers life. If you're here this morning and you're wondering what it might mean to be a Christian or you're not convinced yet, you're exploring, uh, but you're still somewhat skeptical, uh, have you realized the fact that if God's who he says he is and you have rejected him, that he could simply just squash you and, and be done with it? that he doesn't really owe you a thing. He doesn't owe you his allegiance. You've rebelled against him. He doesn't owe you compassion. You have vilified him. Now, I'm saying that like I haven't ever done that. Everybody around here knows that I'm one of the best sinners at Green Tree Community Church. God doesn't owe me a thing either. But to think about not ascribing to the Lord thanks for his grace and acting as an enemy of God, does it dawn on you that God is actually incredibly patient? That he allows you to wrestle with those doubts. And he continues to invite you. That he allows you to reject him. God God didn't create you to be a robot. God didn't force you. Is it going to force you to put your faith in him? God offers salvation through the Lord Jesus. And he calls us to make a decision of faith. But in all of that, he has patience. Day after day, week after week, year after year. God is perfect in his patience with us. God is a good God. And David says, we ought to give thanks for the very, the very character of goodness within God. But he also says this, that, that character, that goodness is put into practice. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And all we have to do is look at the cross to see a picture of the steadfast love of God. That God determined that he was not going to let sin have the upper hand. That he wasn't going to allow us to face death and, and, and separation from him for all of eternity without intervening for his enemies. Without making those who, who were spiritually dead alive by his Holy Spirit and his new life. That God actually was going to do what we could never do for ourselves and was going to bring us to salvation. And how long will that salvation last? Until you mess up next week? Until you get in trouble, maybe, maybe you yell at your spouse when you're not supposed to. Maybe you're harsh with your children. Maybe you say one thing and you do something else. Is God's love going to end then? No. God's love endures forever. And you think about that from two sides. One is, is, is maybe you've experienced a moment of hopelessness in your life. Maybe you've been at a place where you say, you know, God couldn't possibly love me because of, uh, of how I'm feeling or all these things that I've done. A mutual friend of mine actually sent a mutual friend of his to speak with me a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he suggested that uh, she come and talk to me. She was struggling. She didn't go to Green Tree. She was struggling terribly with depression. And she said, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian because I, I just don't have the energy to keep believing. And we talked for probably about an hour and a half. Uh, and I was able to open the scriptures to her and say, you know what, at the end of the day, uh, do, you, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he's in the scriptures? She says, yes. I said, so you believe in your heart that, that Jesus is the son of God who died and rose again, that God rose again? She said, yes. I said, you confess with your mouth that, that he's your savior, Lord. She said, yes. And I said, now it's off your shoulders. <laughs> Not up to you. It's up to God's power to hold on to you. If my salvation is dependent upon my faith to hold on to God, it isn't going to last. But if I understand, even in the darkest moment, even when I say I, I almost feel like I'm giving up on God, he's still holding on to me. But the flip side is true. If I come to God in, in arrogance and in pride and say, you know, God, you're kind of lucky to have me on your team. You know, I've, I'm a pretty high draft pick. You know, I'm the, I might have been slow when I was a kid, but, but, I, but I, I've done a lot better, right? And, and I said, now, now you love me because I do all these things, right? And God says, absolutely not. It's got nothing to do with it. Your self-righteousness, your arrogance, it actually stands in the way of you giving thanks to me because the only thing that saves you is my steadfast love. But even there, <laughs> his love endures forever. I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual pilgrimage today. Some of you I do because I know some of you fairly well. But I know this. I know that David's right. I know that God is good. I know his character is without flaw. And I know that his love will endure, does endure forever. And for that, we should join our voices with David. And we should give thanks.
1: Our God is a good, good father, and he delights to give his children good gifts. A lot of us have spent the past couple weeks in a devotion that pointed us to scripture that encouraged us to be thankful. And I happen to be in a season in my life where I have a really long list. Things are good. I am thankful to God for many, many gifts. But not every season is that way. And I know that in this room, there are people who are in a place where it's hard to give thanks because your circumstance looks bleak. But I know for me, in the darkest times, that's when I realized that God's greatest gift to me is himself. It's Jesus. It's his presence. And so in that sense, I always have reason to give thanks. So this morning, can we give thanks together? Let's think about the things that our good, good father has given us. Let's praise him and thank him together. The worship team's gonna start a little bit sooner and our words of thanksgiving are gonna be our offering of praise to him. Let's give him thanks. I'll start out. God, I thank you so much for saving me. I thank you for your great love and I thank you for the friends that you have surrounded me with who point me to Jesus.